0: Okay. Twelve? So, okay. What's she saying? There you go. Okay, so we're gonna talk today about machine matter. But uh, We need a a few few introductions to the topic before we start. So, first of all, introduction number one, and I think this is the most important introduction, is that this is a little different than some of the other controversies that we've talked about, in in this way, as follows. A lot of the other controversies have been small-time people who tried to make innovations and were met with resistance by the Gadeli Hadar, who spoke strongly against them, and uh, we, know, we know how that shakes out. What's <coughs> unique about this Machlekes is that on both sides is truly, truly G'dayli Hadar, the, the biggest of the big, and they, the, the fight became extremely heated, and they spoke very passionately and personally about each other, and uh, as we're gonna read the chuvis and read their own words, I just want, I wanna, that, that's the first act i to keep in mind, is that the people on both sides that we're talking about are mamish the, the G'dayli Hadar of the generation. Okay, so, so as follows. Originally, the way chazal, the way matzah was baked, was in every person's personal home. Before the suda, a person and his wife would get together and they'd bake bread. They'd have matzah for the suda like that. The Gemara in Pesachim and in Afkuf base base, brings a drasha that says lechem Aini. So the Gemara has a few interpretations of what the drasha of lechem Aini is, and the third one of them is ma ani. Uh, uh, he, hum, he ishtem Af matzah ishtem Which means ma'ani, who cannot afford to buy bread from a different baker And can't afford to have a staff on hand So he's busy stoking the flames of the fire and his wife is baking So too matzah should be done in that manner Where the ani is stoking the, the, the individual is stoking the flames of the fire And his wife is baking So it implies to us clearly that the baking that was done The matzah that was baked was not uh, an industrial matzah bakery that was pumping out matzah for many people. Every family on their own would bake their little matzahs at home, and uh, that might be better or worse than a bakery, but that's how it was done. For better, for, for better or for worse, that's how it was done. Now, Rashi, Rashi, Afen, the Rashbam, I'm sorry, Afon the Gemara says, that the reason why Ani Meshagar v'Ishla'efah was because you needed the fire to be intensely hot, like we know about matzah. If the fire is not intensely hot, it could come to be chametz. So the honey had to be focused and keep stoking the flames to make sure it's intensely hot. That's what Der learns it. So he learns it was a technical, practical matter, that you needed to have all these contributors, all the participation in getting the matzah baked over there. Other Rishonim learn that the reason is because the person's supposed to involve himself in a fias matzah. And from there, the rush, who, who is much later on, says, even if one could bake in a bakery with helpers, you, the, the, the person, should stand on top of them and instruct them and make sure that you're involved in it out of this din of Ani ani Veshti Eifa. So, what we see from the Rush is that already in the Rush's time, matzah had moved out of the home kitchen and already had come to some sort of structured, organized matzah bakery situation. And the Rush is saying, take the din from the Zman of the Gemara and apply it somehow to to our times, So we have, just to chart the course, bisman chazal, matzah was done, haimish at home, everyone made it themselves, and by the time of the Rishaynim, we start seeing different innovations, different xeris, different rules, to help, to aid with the halakhas of matzah baking, which implies to us clearly that matzah baking was done in a more organized fashion in the bakery. I the if anyone's been to matzah bakery, the, the, that big bar that they used to, to knead it with, to make it easier, that's an invention that the Me'iri discusses about 850 years ago, the we discusses the invention of the bar and how, what to make it out of, how to use it. So that we already start seeing the, the matzo bakery <coughs> environment being created around that kufa. So now, <coughs> so just that's, that's, that's facts so and just how, how it developed. Now, let's talk about the issues that could arise in a matzo bakery. So there's many, many gemaras and each one leads to like uh, another different din and a lot of them will be relevant to the back and forth of the different places come over here where they would discuss machine matzah. So let me just uh, share a few of them, just so we have some of the relevant information on the table in front of us as we go to the talk about it. Just for example, there's a din, everyone knows, matzah needs mayim shalon. Mayim shalonu means we draw water the night before from the air, you let it sit in a container, a sealed container, and they use it the next day. What's the reason for that? So it's in before Shigemara. Rashi explains, shehamayonis bimei nisan chamin. Well water during the Tkuf of Nisan are, are warm. They're hot. And, and uh, Therefore Chazal asked you to use them, to be lush matzah with them right away. It's like hot water. And hot water is not allowed to be used. For example. So you see one din... That that temperature control is very important. We're looking for temperature control in every ingredient that's going into the bowl. We don't want anything too hot because too hot alters the metrics of, of of when something turns chametz. Another example is there's uh, a shear. The, the din is that you to be oifah matzah. upon to Medina de gemara, one cannot be oifah matzah in a batch that's bigger than the shear of challah. The shear that's required to be is challah on is forty three and a half bayim, which is Give or take five pounds, let's say, in today's amounts. And the din, the Gemara says, and the Shulchan Aruch paskins like that, you can't make a batch of, of matzah that's bigger than the sheer challah. What's the reason? The reason is because the, the time frame that Chazal described for us, that they said that something doesn't become chametz for a certain amount of time, they described to us the time frame of an average size batch. An average size batch is a batch that's sheer chala, not bigger than that. Bigger than that, all bets are off. We don't know. Maybe it gets home. It's quicker or slower. Maybe it's too hard to need it properly. Maybe you're not allowed to. Not, you're not allowed to. Now, incidentally, the Meshavur brings down, and many place say this from the Meshav that that was all true in the time when you were baking it at home. And it was a one-man show. Here's what you have in my love maybe you're baking. It was a one-man show. You were baking, you were kneading it. There's only so much one person could do. But if you're baking it in a bakery, and there's lots of oizrim, and there's tons of helpers, and there's a big staff, so then Shir Challah goes out the window. And this is how the Meshavur brings down. That lemaisa uh, he says um, <laughs> he says <laughs> <laughs> chazal were only chashish <laughs> for this amount when a person himself was needing and, and doing it in his house but but uh, and because a person could only do so much he says <laughs> they didn't have yet this innovation this this press that we use to, to knead it. <laughs> it would sit around for a long time. <laughs> Their ovens were small. <laughs> you couldn't get hundred matzahs into the oven at one shot. So, because of the slowing of the process and because it wasn't so simple, so there was a, a Chazal said, you can't bake anything bigger than that size. That it's a bakery. You have a cooler that you could bake even bigger sized those because we're able to handle them better and we could, we could think. Now, to, for example, the sheer mill. Let's say the din. Everybody's familiar that matzah becomes comes chametz in eighteen minutes. That's a gemara. The gemara says that as a standard, matzah is in eighteen minutes. It says the gemara if it's too hot or too cold, or the water's too hot or too cold, or the batch is too big or too small, then then that, that's out the window. So meaning there's so many variables and so many chumras in shihiyah the Chazal, it's, it's gemara, gemara 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 the Chazal are busy with. The main weak point, the main point that needs Shmira by matzah, is that it shouldn't be shoy and become chametz. You shouldn't leave it untouched and it will become chametz. And every variable that's different than from exactly the way Chazal prescribed, we say all oh, bets are off. We don't know. And each one of these gemaras is something that becomes relevant that poyskim to later on in the fight about machine matzah. Additionally, one more uh, in, in important akuda is that um, is that there's a big machlekes a poiskim if. The din is that, that you have to have 18 minutes of sitting untouched for it to be chametz. If the matzah sits for 18 minutes untouched, it's chametz. But if it sits for 17 minutes and, and 30 seconds, it's not chametz. Now what's the halacha if you, you need it, then you let it sit for five minutes, you roll it out, you let it sit for five minutes, and then you put it in the oven. So do we say that the is shahiyah, uh, that the different weightings that you're doing, at different tukufus, it, that, you know, it adds up, and in the event there'll be 18 minutes or not we that a shahiyah that is followed by a proper avodah of the dough, meaning if you're shayya for, for 17 minutes, and then you really knead that dough out again for real, you know, a real kneading it out, not just touching it, you knead it out properly, so says the Tchumas the shahiyah is butthole, the clock restarts. You have another 18 minutes. You can put it down and wait another 18 minutes before it will come. Now say the Paiskim, that's all good, no variables. If you have controlled temperature and controlled size, but if you have any one of the variables off and things are not how they're supposed to be, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too warm, then maybe it becomes chametz right away. Just like we find, there's a rush that says that if you're the matzah at the mouth of the oven, if you leave the matzah too close to the oven, then the shihiyah is instant. Then it goes right away. We find another sheet that says, but after you roll it out, after all that work is done to it, if you're it becomes chametz right away. So, I'm not trying to give a shleimistik, like overview of Shehiyah, and when it's us and when it's not Asr, Hilchah's Shehiyah. I'm just trying to give a little bit of the pertinent background information that's going to become relevant in all the Chubas. Okay. That is Hakdama number two. Now, Hakdama number three is, uh, is as follows. Let's do it this way. Hakdama number three is as follows. So, Hakdama number three is like this. That, so, matzah bakeries we're seeing was an innovation on their own. Meaning, the way matzah was done, bimei when Khalil were left the Midbar, all the way through the Zeman Aghimara, was personal, in your home, matzah was baked by a staff of a husband and wife. Maybe if they had some children, they helped out. It was a small operation. Now, there was a big innovation, Vimei Rishonin, matzah bakery. You could bake with helpers, you could bake much more, the whole town could bake at once. That's an innovation, that's innovation number one. Now, at a certain point later on down the line, that innovation became a big chesarin. Because imagine a tiny matzah bakery in Shtetl in Europe, that had an oven inside of it that was boiling hot, and you had people of varying levels of frumkite bustling around and doing this job and that job, and it was a tiny tzafuf room. And you'll read different dayanim from different kehilas in their in their Shabbos agadal It was like a favorite topic to hit. It was like that the matzah bakeries are totally out of whack. It's, this is not good. And 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 I read a few different like uh, dayanim in their giving speeches like describing the, the, the terrible situation. One guy says like, I came into the room full of hustle and bustle and shmuzerai. You couldn't tell they were Isaac in a mitzvah at all. There's a boiling hot oven in the, in, in, the, in the corner over there. It's barely comfortable to be there. The people are passing things around the table. Who even knows what they have in their pockets? I don't know if these people are from. Another one writes that he saw one of the workers on the, on the rolling line take out a sandwich between shift to shift and eat a little bit. It was so frenetic and so... So busy that he couldn't have lunch, he took his lunch, he brought lunch to go, he took lunch out of his pocket, he ate it on the line. says, I saw the guy eating a bagel while he's baking matzah, practically. And uchaheina v'chaheina. So this starts, like, in the 16th and 1700s, and even the 1800s, you find Grace Rabbanim, who are very, very bothered by the common practice of matzah bakeries, and are uh, like, start critiquing it. Like, at Kah that the Baruch Tam, the, I think that's the Leipniker Rav, Rav in Poland, writes, and he writes, he's before machine matzah, he dies in the early 1800s, he writes, Halavai that, it was the beginning of the industrial revolution, you know, machines were coming out for everything, and the world was moving at a, at a, at a very quick pace. The Leipnicka Rav writes, Halavai that someone should invent a machine that could take out all these uh, archi-parchi and people in the, in the matzah bakery who are not behaving, and the machine could bake matzah for us. This is what the writes, the Baruch Tam writes. Now he uh, never him that that could actually be and what would arise from that but he writes that as like his wish list like they could be such a machine that would bake us matzahs so so with that in mind you have to realize that when the machine matzah innovation arose on the scene there were many people who looked at it as a as a massive takana a huge innovation like Baruch Hashem finally we could put away all the problematic issues with the matzah bakery all the Environment and all the shahiyas that are happening, and it's too hot and it's not controlled and it's not the way Chazal described, and the people aren't from, and they're bringing chametz on the floor. It was looked at as a huge innovation. Like Baruch Hashem, we're finally out of that zone, and we could harness the Industrial Revolution to finally get matis the way we're supposed to have them, the way they're kosher, the way they're supposed to be. So, so many Gdalim, many Grace Dimension looked at it that way, and they were excited. Not just like, it's like, hey, but the Avid I'll give a hash to this. It was, there was an excitement. On the side that mattered, maker there was a tremendous excitement. Now, on the side that answered it, there was a tremendous, tremendous uh, chaymer to it also, as, as we'll see. So now let's just talk about how it came to be. So in, in, the, in about 1838, give or take, a French Jew by the name of Isaac Singer invents the first machine matzah. Now just keep in mind, it's not a machine matzah that you uh, put the ingredients on one side and cooked, baked matzahs come out on the other side. All it is, is a hand roller attached to several rolling pins, where you put the matzah through and it rolls it out into a flat sheet of dough. That's the entire thing. You put the matzah in and instead of having to do all the, the hard, uh, you know, uh, uh, rolling it out, every person individual and having, you know, 12 people, 20 people on a table rolling out matzahs, you roll it through, a couple that he describes is that you have to have three strong men standing at the wheel, they roll it through, and you have two men standing on the other side to gather it and make sure it stays on the table properly, and then you take like a big uh, pizza cutter, like, um, no, like the ones you like lean on like this, like a big pizza cutter, and you, and you cut the matzahs and, and you have matzahs. Now, originally, when, when, Stam, irony, the, the, the sewing machine, the mechanical sewing machine was also invented by Isaac Singer. Not related to each other at all and at the same tkufa. So like if you look for Isaac Singer, you're going to get a sewing machine. You have to look at Isaac Singer machine matzah, to find the Isaac Singer who invented the machine matzah. Two, two French Jews, or, or uh, two Jews, who invented two, two very uh, popular mechanical innovations. Um, so Isaac Singer, when he invented this, so you turn it out and you get a big sheet of matzah. Now he was obviously aware, like we're aware, that matzahs are traditionally round and not square. And when you cut it with a, with a, with a pizza cutter, you're getting a bunch of square sheets. And he was aware of how odd that looked, and that that would probably raise some eyebrows. So he went to discuss it with the rabbanim of his town. He lived in Alsace, which is like a border region between France and Germany. He went to the Besin of Paris to get a hechshar on his machine. He went to the Besin of Paris, and they suggested an idea that you could make a like a round, cookie, like a round cookie, cookie cutter. You'll cut out round circles on the sheet and gather up the remaining dough and feed it back in again. And you'll do it again. Now, this was to fix the problem of it looking odd and raising people's eyebrows, you'll do that. Now, we're going to see that that ends up turning into a much bigger problem than the problem of raising people's eyebrows with a square matzah, which is why we know, ultimately, machine matzahs ended up being square. Square won the day for machine matzahs. Now, so Isaac Singer invents this, he goes to Paris, and he gets a hechshar from the Bezdin of Paris. I think his name was Reb Menachem Deutsch, I think is the Bezdin of Paris. He gets a to that he has, that's Machshir's machine, it says they watched it in action, they checked the temperature, they, they made sure they saw there's no chayrun who's stuck in like cracks and crevices for you know dough to get stuck in that could re-arise again and the machine is a good innovation and it's going to help people make matzah, you know, b'chumrah the proper way. He gets a Hakshir, and then he moves on to Berlin to get another Hakshir, and he goes to the... To, Rav Yaakov Et, 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 Etlinger. Keep in mind, Etlinger, because there's an Ettinger in the story also. He goes to Rav Yaakov Etlinger, and he gets another Heksher from the Lener, another famous Rav, whose farm we still have today, who we learn, uh, Grace of God, he gets a from Rav Yaakov Etlinger, who says, yes, this is a positive innovation, this is a, a good thing, this is going to have better matzahs for everybody, and he gets a second Heksher from the Lener. From there, in like the 1840s, it moves on, it starts spreading. And it goes to some rather famous towns with rather famous Rabbanim who give it a Haksha. For example, it goes to the town of Posen. Posen is Kveger's town. Now it makes it to the town of Posen later. It doesn't make it to the town where Bukvager's alive. At that time, Eiger, Bukveger's son, had taken over the Steller. He was also old and ailing. But it comes to the town of Posen, it's brought to Eiger's attention. Schleima Eiger looks at it, looks good. Looks like a very solid innovation, a nice Maila to have in our, ma- our matzah baking. It shows up at another famous town. It goes to Preshburg, the Chesim Seifer's town. Again, the Seifer is no longer alive. The Seifer is already dead. His son, the Ksav Seifer, another famous gadol, is the, is, is the Rav of Preshburg at the time. He looks at it. He has a little bit more hesitation because because you know, he's part of the Chesim Seifer's school of thought that new things are not, are not always the best things. And uh, he looks it over. He adds a list, and we have the list. It's about uh, five pages long of like instructions and in Humrus that the people operating the machine should be marked on. It's written in, in the Yiddish Deutsch, which is like a combination of German and Yiddish. I cannot read it, but anyone who wants can try to read it. Where he adds like five pages of Takanis and rules to the matzah baking with this machine. But again, he gives the Haksha. So now it's spread basically through France, through Germany, through Hungary. The machine became very, very popular over the 20 years and got Hakshairim and Haskamis from many, many great of so where does the fight start? The fight starts when it arrives in Galicia. Now, Galicia in 1858 is part of the... it comes in 1858 to Galicia. Galicia at that time is part of the, the Austrian <coughs> Empire still. And uh, that's where the fight starts. So just to give a little background, I just want to... It comes to the town of Lvov, the town of, of Lemberg, which is the town where, where uh, the Shaila Meshiv of Yosef Shalom in, is the Rav. Now, I just want to give a drop of background on the town, and this will help us understand how the fight develops. The, the town of, of Lemberg is the biggest town, in, biggest city in Galicia for the Jewish Kehila. It has, it has 50, 60,000 Jews there. It's a very, very big Kehila of Jews there. The Rav in the early 1800s was a famous Rav, the Yeshua's Yaakov. We have his Shuvus, we have his Svarim. Yeshua's Yaakov, Rav Yaakov Orangestein was the Rav of, of, uh, of um, Lvov. Now in 1840, Rabbi Yaakov Ornstein, the, the Rav of Lvov is Nifter. And at that time, the Reform and the Haskalah had made its way to Lvov, to Galicia. And they start campaigning that a Rav in town has to be a college graduate. And because of this campaign, the local government, the Austrian government in in the city of Lvov, passes a rule that only a Rav is a college graduate, could be a Rav. And to accomplish that, they bring a Rav whose name is Abraham Kohn. Now, Abraham Cohn is a reformer, a proper reformer, a guy who possibly in his own life was not even Shem or Shabbos. He was a good speaker. Um, he actually had smicha from a that I knew the sun. So he didn't start off as a reformer. He started off as a regular guy. He got smicha in, in Prague. He takes a sharp left turn. Ad k'dekach, it seems, in his personal life, he was Michal Shabbos. He petitioned the government that everyone, all the schools should have to learn German. He petitioned the government that Jews should have to wear clothing like everybody else. He was a, a, a real proper reformer. Now, they brought him into the town of Lemberg to be the Rav. And it it made a bahala, tremendous bahala. He was brought into the main shul in Lemberg originally, and it was a frum shul, a really, really frum shul, that had ga'inim, the chachamim, who lived, with daven there, and it made a tremendous bahala. Eventually, he builds, his movement of Lemberg builds their own shul, and they build a temple, it's a reformed temple in Leverg, in Lemberg, and he becomes the rav there. And he gives his sermons in German, and, you know, reformed in Lemberg, everything that's negative. Now he has a, a shocking and terrible end. In, in the mid, in the late 1840s, a young man by the name of Avram Pilpel walks into his house one day during lunch with a cigar in his mouth and tells the servant that he wants to light his cigar from the fire, from the kitchen fire. She says, sure. He bends down to light his cigar from the fire and with his other hand, he pours a vial of arsenic into the soup and he walks out. The the Bear family the, the Cone family sits down for lunch an hour later and within within a few minutes the entire family is violently ill. They've uh, they're violently ill, they're all in bed, they rush to get a doctor. Um, the doctor can't figure out what it is right away. Eventually the the first one, the the so so all five he had five him, his wife and five children, all seven of them are violently ill in bed. Within 24 hours, Abraham Cohn is dead of arsenic poisoning. He dies of arsenic poisoning, and that's how they know it's arsenic, because they take his body and they test his blood, and they find high levels of arsenic in his stomach. His infant daughter, like a a six-month-old daughter, who obviously was given to taste from the soup also, also dies. His four children and his wife survive. Now, it becomes a, a a huge thing. The police, they arrest. Um, Avram Ber Popol, obviously, they arrest the leaders of the community, one of the Yeshua Yaakov's grandsons, someone Borenstein, someone Orenstein, a bunch of, everyone gets arrested. The whole Kehillah, it's, it's, it's a huge, huge mess in the Kehillah. Now, now, uh, there's obviously, you know, tremendous inaccuracies in the way the, the case is pursued. It's, it's somewhat backwater. And these Gvirim, these Jewish Kehillah members, hire some good lawyers, and eventually they all get free. The reason we know so much about the story is because Mrs. Kohn, the almana of, of Avram Kohn, filed an appeal. Like She sued the Austrian government because nobody got locked up for her husband's murder. And in it, we have all the details of the case. So now, he dies, he gets poisoned. Now, we don't know if this is uh, something the Rabbanum were pro, or against. Uh, we have no idea. This is what happens. Now, in light of that, becomes the becomes... Uh, uh, Lemberg has no rub for a few years. And then its first orthodox rub who's allowed to slip through and become the Rav after this you know, terrible break in the Keilah, is the Sholem Meshav. Rabbi Yosef Shalom Natanzin, uh, a real future Godl Hadar, becomes the Rav of Lemberg. Now at the same time, they also appoint a second Rav for the Temple, for the Reformed Temple. That guy's name is Shimon Schwabacher. Now Shimon Schwabacher is not nearly as fry as Avram Kohn. They learned their lesson that that type of reform is not going to work, so they get a guy who's a borderline reformer. He's, that's him from, in his own life he's from, he has some ideas that are a little bit you know, out of the whack or whatever, but he's bats him from. So Shimon Schwabacher and the Shoilomeshiv are appointed to be the Rabbanim of Lvov at the same time. And the Shoilomeshiv decides that instead of having a huge fight in Lemberg, where everyone's at each other's throats, he's going to try to work with the Shimon Schwabacher. And, and hopefully, the reform doesn't have to be so bad in Lemberg. Now, this is, is I would say, the fatal error of Yvesav Shaul's position on machine matzah, is that he did this together with the Shimon and Shavachar. He took the Reform rabbi together with him, and together they looked at the Shaila, and together they Paskin, and then together they put out chuvas on the matter. And because of that, the whole thing was looked at ex- extremely suspect, meaning even extra, even though, even people who, who would maybe be okay with innovation or whatever, looked at it with extreme, extreme suspicion, and it brought out everybody, it inflamed everybody's passions on, on, a, on a much, much higher level. So now... Okay, so now let's let's no, let's try to start to get to the shaila a little bit. Um, we actually need one more hakdamah. I guess this is good. this is the week for hakdamah. We're doing hakdamah. The chuvists themselves will have to read next week. This is the week for hakdamah. There's one more hakdamah. One more very very important uh, point in this fight that becomes a big flashpoint is the the shaila the rav of of Lemberg, who we're talking about over here, is a famous genius. He's a, a genius like uh, for all time. I mean, if you take this from today, you'll still be blown away by his genius. The shaila is a famous genius. He had a chavrusa who he learned with for over 20 years. His name was Rav Ettinger. Not Ettinger, from Germany, from Berlin, who gave the Hechshanet. Ettinger is his brother-in-law. The, the Shaila Meishev moves to Lvov to marry Rav Ettinger's sister. And he moves into the house by the Ettingers, and he, they become a chavrusas. is three or four years older than the Shaila Meishev, and they become inseparable chavrusas. They learn for 20 years together. And uniquely, and this you don't find by, by too many other mahabram, they publish many, many svarim together, and not stem like uh, you know like the svarim that nobody reads. They publish for starters. First of all, this is just this is they, on the Urshal, on a Babylon we know this maseerus Sashas right. It says every time a gemara is there, where else you can find the gemara? Every time there's a din that's kapaskin, where you can find the shochanar. On the Yerushalmi, up until the Shaila Meishiv and Malchazavettinga, there was no such thing. Them two together, as they learned Yerushalmi. The Filled in these blanks and wrote it in together. Just an idea. This is like a Rav Chaim type of work. They did this together as they learned the Sugir. Another sefer they put out is a sefer called Muggingi Barum. It's a sefer that goes through the whole Aruchayim, all the halachas of Aruchayim. It, it's quoted just to give you an idea of how important it is. It's quoted in the Mishnah Bur almost three hundred times, and the Mishneh doesn't quote contemporaries. Shuru the Kamat doesn't quote people who live the eruch in this safer This sefer of people who lived the eruch in he quotes almost three hundred times. So they, they wrote off the charts, amazing svarim together. For example, they wrote a sefer on, on, uh, on um, Trefus. They have three askamis on it. The three askamas are the nasivas, the kveger, some sefer. They are held in, in, like, in the highest regard. They're putting out svarim that are high quality, two young geniuses living in Lvov, learning together, and, uh, and working through you know, many, many suggis together. Now, eventually, these, the, the break that happens between them is that Reb Khazavatinger is on the tzad that holds the machine matzah's aser, and the Sholomeshiv is the main rav of holds machine matzah's mutter, and because of that, it's extremely personal and it's extremely close to home. And the chuvas that the Sholomeshiv writes about his brother-in-law are, are are very very harsh. Some of his harshest uh, his harshest words are saved for his brother-in-law, um, and that, that's like an important wrinkle in the story because it plays a big role in the whole tone of the story. The the fact that they were brother-in-laws, they were chavrusis and they were close, and and all that. Now. Um, okay, so to the shaila itself. So to the shaila itself, really the way to frame the shaila is uh, machine matzah. The way we described it is a simple innovation that you turn it, it spits it out. Now here's the shailas that could arise. and I'm not going to get into them in detail. We'll have to say that, but let's just lay the groundwork. The shailas that could <laughs> arise is aleph is a mash, is aleph. There's a din that uh, for the matzah that's needed for the Leel hasay there needs to be lishma. Could a machine constitute lishma or not? You know, turning a wheel, not actually physically, doing it with your own hands, constant and that's a sugi that we'll get to. Um, the other one will be, is putting the scraps back in, problem. Another shadow is going to be, does it get too hot? Is the environment not controlled? Another shadow is going to be, is round and square itself a problem? There's many, many more that come up. We'll try to go through some of them. The, 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 uh, I'll just say, I'm not going to do this this week, but the shaila meishiv and the shailah their chuvis read like a novel. These chuvis are like off the charts, except the, the, the intensity and the, how personal it is. And you see their feelings and their emotions in them. They're amazing, amazing Chuvis. And I want to go through them and highlight all the, all the main points. But this is the Hakdam week we'll have to continue. Now, just the Rav asked me to announce that next week the Shir is going to be folded into like a community breakfast for Mois and for the Koopa for the community, like we did last year. So I don't know. I think the Shir will be somewhat shorter and in a different format. So I think I won't continue this. I'll do something different. And then the next week when we have more time, I'll finish this and we'll read all the Judas.